Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Pernilla Johansson, currently Chief Design Officer of Electro Lux Group. Pernilla will share with us some key insights around her exciting career journey with several world-leading organizations, as well as some exciting international assignments. Pernilla will also share with us some key insights into how she is helping to move her current organization to become more purpose-led, factoring in sustainability and social issues alike. Pernilla will also share with us some key insights into how she has helped to navigate the complexities of design leadership throughout the world in a heavily male-dominated industry. Pernilla, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you today. We know we've got lots of great things to discuss and to learn about your fabulous background experiences. Uh, but as always, before we get going, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at today? So I'm Swedish by background. I studied industrial design at Gothenburg University. Um, and I had this very early on, this very deep urge to get out and see the world. And, and maybe different to most of my friends, I wanted to experience the world through work. So after my third year of study, I left for the Netherlands and I was fortunate to work for MPK. It's a large consultancy firm. Uh, it was called the Nina Berpetian Crowells in those days. And I was there for uh, more than a year and that brought me to uh, the Design Academy in Eindhoven and uh, Professor Lou Beeren, who ran a small consultancy in Groningen. And he gave me and two other students the opportunity to go to Romania and design glass covers for outdoor sensor lights. And <laughs> it was absolutely amazing experience. And uh, after that adventure, I joined Philips Design, first as a student and later as a full-time employee. And that's really when professional life started for me. I was already at that time 27 years, so I was a mature student. I had uh, done a lot of practical experiences before I dared to go out in the world and, and be a professional designer. Um, but it didn't take me long to realize that uh, large multinational corporations uh, like Philips was where I wanted to stay. And, and that brought me across three continents before I landed in Singapore back in 1999. And that became my home for 16 years. And it was uh, two-thirds into that, uh, 2008, uh, after I'd been with Philips for 15 years, that I joined Electrolux to set up a brand new design studio in Singapore. And uh, when that was done, I uh, got the opportunity to return to Sweden. It was almost on the day, 23 years uh, after I left and uh, first, I uh, got the opportunity to run the small appliance portfolio. And then in 2018, I agreed on taking on the leadership for the design function. So that's in a nutshell. Okay, wow. Uh, some worldly adventures and some pretty amazing experiences. I know you mentioned uh, the uh, opportunity to uh, have some involvement in your early academic years and, and all the years with Phillips. Thinking back about your career journey, is there anything additional that stands out as a key defining moment or a catalyst that really helped to leapfrog your career to where you are today? Well, it's, I think it's hard to pinpoint one. I believe every move that I made had an impact. And someone once told me that when you have a green wave, you need to keep pace and take the opportunity or you risk getting stuck. And I think actually in those first years, I was really afraid of getting stuck. 
so I would rather say that's a series of events, um, which actually started with uh, me being challenged by a friend. And by that, I applied to design school just to prove him wrong. And it's something that I am forever grateful for. Uh, and then uh, three years into my study, I went to the Netherlands to celebrate a friend's birthday. It was quite a lot of money to invest in and, and to justify the cost of going there to celebrate a birthday. I told everyone that I would apply for an internship while I was there. Um, and you have to realize that this was before the Internet. Uh, this was then when Yellow Pages was the prime source of information. So I found two design consultancies in the Yellow Pages, uh, but only one answered the phone and agreed to visit. And I came in for the interview. Uh, it wasn't an interview, uh, but I didn't even know that they were the largest consultancy company in the Netherlands. And I'm really grateful that they gave me my first opportunity because that's kind of made me rolling. And then uh, through my working years, I was really eager and uh, looked for change at least every two years. But it was if that change came earlier, I kind of like grabbed it. So during my first five years, I worked in four different locations across four different product categories uh, at different lengths of them. And then when I became a design leader, my first formative years happened in a really growing environment. So the team was growing from 15 to 50 in just a few years. And the category of home entertainment that I was working within expanded exponentially. And with that growth and that opportunity, uh, I got the, uh, as an icing on the cake, you can say, I was asked to lead the Singapore branch. And this gave me skills to run design operationally. So, you know, all the back-end support, um, process management, finance, IT, HR, and all that, right? So that those things are maybe not what you think about first when you are a design leader, but you're realizing when you do it that that's really what's making designers uh, uh, enabled and, and uh, able to um, make the best uh, job or work at their best ability. So this was when uh, Electrolux found me, and um, I guess the temptation was too big, especially since they offered me to uh, set up a brand new design studio in Singapore, and uh, I just had to grab it. I said at that time, you have to at least resign once in your life. And uh, to compose and orchestrate and, and stage that high-performing team from two employees to to a team of 15 that worked across Australia and Singapore was an incredibly rewarding experience. And, and maybe that is the most defining moment of my career, if you if you look at it. Wow. Uh, very uh, adventurous. And I don't want to be too philosophical, but I believe there are no mistakes. So maybe for you applying for that internship was serendipitous of uh, your, your career trajectory uh, to where you are today. And of course, needless to say, spending time overseas in foreign countries and foreign markets are, are only exponential to, I think, us, us learning and growing as, as individuals. Thinking back as well on your career journey, are there any major hurdles, hurdles or roadblocks that you encountered? And if so, how did you overcome them? Well, I believe some of our worst experience can become our biggest learners or learning opportunities. And, and I think this question brings me back to when I, I'd moved to the U.S. Uh, as part of uh, a joint venture uh, between Philips and Lucent Technology. This was back in 
96. And the objective was to design a range of uh, communication devices or um, telephones products uh, that would work across both North America and Europe. It was a really exciting opportunity because the culture of telephony was so different between these different worlds. But the joint venture only lasted for about a year. And uh, it taught me how important it is to be present as a leader when you manage big change and that it's equally important to manage culture and organizational structures as it is to focus on the objective at hand. And the joint venture formally failed because of the financial impact, but I would say it's actually failed due to poor leadership and, and lack of, of, the, of the leaders being present where action really happened. It was a lot of waste in, in the process. But it gave me um, the opportunity to find the leader within me. And though it was the only time throughout my career that I actually stood out of a job and had to start applying again, uh, it was the uh, moment that actually brought me to Singapore and where I then got this deep uh, growth curve uh, as a design leader that I mentioned before. Excellent. I, I appreciate the optimism and, and uh, even the, let's say, the the moments that are a little bit challenging our growth uh, moments and opportunities. So I think that's uh, that's a key testament to to a positive outlook and good leadership attributes. Uh, you mentioned before about, you know, uh, uh, understanding and appreciating culture and organiz- organizational structures in addition to, let's say, the operationals and the output, which is, of course, very uh, a prominent for a good uh, leadership outlook. You mentioned a little bit already about uh, the the organization you're with now, but can you tell us a little bit more about your current role and how design is helping to drive success or uh, more so success for the business? Yeah, so um, maybe a a quick introduction to Electrolux Design. Uh, It's a community of designers. We have about 200 designers working across seven locations. Uh, We have offices in North America, Brazil, Australia, Singapore, Egypt, China, and Sweden, uh, to just be fair and mention them all, different sizes, different scales. I would say that design at Electrolux has a long and proud history. Uh, it is uh, an integral part of the business. That was one of the reasons why I really wanted to work in, in Electrolux, because it was baked into the um, to the company in that sense. It was not set apart, which was different from how it was in Philips Design, at least in those days. Uh, and I think design is also a big part of who the company is, and and uh, and especially with uh, with the Electrolux brand, it really design is a big part of that. And so is sustainability. Um, and we have a purpose, which is shape living for the better. And I would say that uh, Electrolux, however strong design history we have, uh, we're not design-led, as many other companies express themselves as being design-led. I would rather say that we are purpose-led. And sometimes I'm thinking about that as, you know, uh, you know how um, certain countries um, skipped the uh, landlines of telephones. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we, we skipped over that. We, we went into the purpose-led uh, setup directly. And I, I think it's important because the purpose-led setup is allowing everyone to uh, to drive towards this higher purpose. And it's also inspired our functional uh, focus. I set up this, uh, this kind of like uh, definition that we believe that design has the power to enable people to make more sustainable choices uh, and that with pleasure. 
and that encompasses every film from, you know, love at first sight, that instant yet timeless appeal of our solutions. Uh, also, how to stay relevant in the long run through being really passionate about quality and working towards upgradability and circularity as a way to delay and manage the end of life of our products. I'll give you an example. Uh, we partnered with uh, Stena Recycling and uh, we found out that a large percentage of our vacuum cleaners are thrown away while still functioning. They had about 50% engine capacity left. And I personally believe that this is mainly due to poor maintenance, resulting in uh, lower performance. And as such, it's uh, also important to consider how we support the many decisions people have to make on a daily basis. Uh, like, why should you have to wait four hours for a dishwasher to be ready? Uh, there's a really good reason for it, but it's hard for people to understand. And uh, will my clothes be clean enough if we wash them at 30 degrees? Uh, and why does it actually have to take so long to run an eco program? These are big questions consumers uh, and users uh, have in, in our space. And we have so many good answers. And to help them in those moments when they have these questions, I think we can help uh, making sustainable choices easier and, and, uh, and more rewarding. So every decision has an impact on the footprint and, and in home appliances, around 85% comes from the user chase. So with Electrolux ambition being to deepen that focus on sustainable consumer experience, design's role is naturally transforming. So I believe we have really interesting years ahead of us and we're standing in this kind of like curve of, of transformation and change, which... Uh, maybe due to the appliance industry coming a little bit later than other companies, which gives us a fantastic opportunity to learn uh, from others as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, I very much applaud and appreciate your, your positioning and, as you said, kind of leapfrogging to become purpose-led and working on sustainability and circularity, all the things that we know are not hopefully just buzzwords, but the status quo going forward uh, that we all will will uh, pay attention to these these issues that are of course facing us all i can tell you from my perspective uh from uh, uh the outside in and a little bit of internal support that there's some amazing things coming out of the organization uh some fantastic developments all around i was wondering if you could share what you could share some of the bigger challenges that you face in your role today yeah, it has to be linked to what I just said about Electrolux being purpose-driven, transformational, having a transformational CX agenda. And uh, and that has, of course, an impact on all functions, design included. And I think, therefore, we really need to ensure that we have the capabilities and the scale to support the ambition. And um, as um, with most large corporations, uh, we need to also overcome some of the organizational complexities. Uh, I believe breaking down organizational silos is probably the number one challenge. And to do this, we need to put people at the heart of creation, not solutions and technology or applications. I see this too often that um, designers and uh, probably triggered by business is actually siloed or divided in, in applicational aspects, which becomes really fragmented. But if we Remember that we have people that need seamless experience there in the heart. We need to set ourselves up to 
work more uh, connected. And and I believe by actively working together, despite organizational belonging, which is sometimes really hard, we have such a potential to manage uh, these conflicting business priorities and different market realities, uh, and especially if we take a systemized approach to design. I, I really believe that that is kind of like the uh, the, the next level of of, um, of uh, staging, uh, learning from the digital world, but bringing systemization into all aspects of design. I believe it's actually the only way to manage uh, the increased complexity that we have in front of us. And and I think it's also the road towards true design maturity to um, to become uh, um, yeah to become more effective and and uh, and a more um, relevant business partner in such such a way. But I, I, maybe just a footnote here: I I often find myself underestimating how difficult it is for non-designers to understand what design really is and. As such, I find it a fine line to walk between building a community while ensuring that design develops where design needs to be and still holding it together. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I think that's the one that I'm working the hardest of up <laughs> here in my thought processes at the moment. Well, always easier said than done. And yeah. I can appreciate what you said earlier that uh, Electrolux is not necessarily design-led but now becoming purpose-led. And you've given some good tangible uh, examples. Is there any need or challenges to help convince the business to invest in design and to let design have more of a, of a foray into helping shape the future? Or is that inherent in the DNA uh, with an Electrolux that design is just integral part of all developments? There is definitely a need to help and convince, but it's also important because since Electrolux is in a rather steep transformation, um, design is definitely one aspect of that, right? And and you have to to work uh, and to show and 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 make that part understood. But at the same time, you also need to synchronize that investment and look at it from an integrated business point of view because you don't want to get out of sync, right? So, I think. My collaboration with the business partners uh, in the different areas is super important as we are expanding uh, what design means for Electrolux. And uh, I think the way I manage that is by showing the gaps we have. Uh, We do have them. And in a way, I think showing the gaps in a very transparent and very clear and very consistent way. Uh, because consistency is also building um, trust and understanding. Uh, if you hear it once, you may hesitate. If you hear it twice, you might think there's something in it. If you hear it three times, you may realize that there is some truth to what is being said, right? So repetition is a powerful word. And, um, and I also believe in making the effort of illustrating the potential. So really looking for those opportunities and examples where design can play a different role and illustrate what that means because a picture says more than a thousand years in the end, right? And after that, it's really just one step at a time. It's just like, like break it down and take one step at a time and, and, um, and, and manage that growth, right? Because if, if growth is happening too steep, you tumble over it as well, right? So building that maturity and, and these, um, building the routines where they can be built and then drive change where they need to be uh, driven. I think that's a way of looking at it. 
Yes, absolutely. And again, easier said than done. Uh, I know there's been a lot of progress, but you've been at it for, for very long, right? So I think, as you said, showing the gaps, uh, making some progress and eventually building that momentum that you have over the years with the large global team now. So uh, again, uh, we've seen some amazing things coming out of the organization. Those that aren't familiar with uh, your social media presence, I would encourage folks to to follow along LinkedIn and your other channels to see the amazing design work and progress that's coming out of your team and organization. Really, really impressive stuff. Uh, Pernilla, I want to just maybe turn the page and, and uh, ask you from some personal uh, insights and in uh, perspectives. What do you see as the bigger, bigger or biggest opportunities for design in the role in the future for design? Where do you see it evolving to? Yeah, I mean, I think these are philosophical uh, topics that uh, we as design leaders love to think about. And and uh, I would have a few thoughts on that. Um, but I think firstly, the mindset and the approach to design needs to be democratized to make us all work more effectively together. I know we're talking about bringing our design thinking uh to a broader audience, and we know that there is love and hate uh, in that. But I do believe that if we do it well, I think we can really enable a more effective uh, partnership across function, which I really believe is needed uh, if we're going to, you know, we're not going to stay in our own corner, but really handle the more difficult questions that we have ahead of us. Um, secondly, I believe the sustainability needs to join viability, feasibility, and desirability in that core aspect. And I know you and Park are working on that as well. And um, and I, I believe that it needs to be part of any design initiative. So it's not three-dimensional anymore. It's four-dimensional. Um, thirdly, but maybe most importantly, <laughs> this is a little bit of a personal passion area of mine, the world of physical and digital needs to unite. Uh, there is such a business value in connecting the uh, user experience in a more holistic way. And terms like design and UX used as two separate things confuses me, and I don't believe I'm alone. Uh, we need to uh, we need to get our definitions right and start talking uh, with one language. And uh, here I think Don Norman is a is a real hero. And, uh, and a reference to how we should approach uh, design and the, um, the higher definition of user experience that we actually deliver all together. And I don't know if you noticed that in companies where physical and digital meet, the language is changing. Uh, many companies that have a long physical history or a very long his- design history have um, not uh, these type of confusing terms. They're, they're pretty clear in the language that they use, uh, and I think they can be um, an inspiration to us all in how we are uh, defining it. And I think if we are consistent, we also help the business in being consistent, because otherwise if we divide ourselves, they will further divide ourselves, and then it will be very difficult to hold it together. And I also think it's there's a really good book that addresses this really well, um, Organizational Design for Design Organizations. Uh, it is a reference that I actually picked up by listening to other design leaders and podcasts, and it's quite often used as a finding that balance between being 
a community that holds together and working together versus being that business partner. And um, and I think they they out lay it out in maybe a bit digitally biased way, but for me that's good since I have a background in industrial design and uh, and then the combination of these type of readings that can help is also companies like uh, working with Park. Um, for me, that's really set a, a foundational uh, aspect and uh, what design needs to be in uh, in Electrolux. And I believe that design has has this this fundamental. The foundation of power in, in making the intangible tangible. So illustrating and demonstrating what can be. Um, and if you couple that with uh, facilitation, stakeholder management and system thinking, I think we could face uh, most challenges and, and uh, turn them into opportunities. Some really fantastic insights. Uh, the listeners can't, of course, see, but I'm just nodding my head along and, and smiling here because, uh, of course, uh, so many key points there. And I think uh, just to circle back, I think one of the issues we see is the nomenclature, if you will. I like it. You'd mentioned democratizing design. We know it has a nice kind of shiny wrapper, good label design thinking, which is maybe now a little bit uh, misconstrued, but um Eventually, it is the democratization and the approach of, of just a holistic approach and uh, also the, the UX perspective, right, um, because the experience is everything, right? Mm. I always like to uh, not give too many Apple references, but as Steve Jobs always says, it's not how it looks, it's how it works, mm. and, and that is a holistic ecosystem there. So some great insights there. Looking about the future of design as well, do you see any – Challenges, small or large challenges emerging that are maybe facing design in the coming years or decades? What are, what are we up against? Yeah, well, maybe the opportunities I just mentioned are also our biggest challenges, right? So uh, you, you can turn it into challenges or opportunities. But I personally foresee less borders and, and more integration, but also more fragmentation regarding what it means to be a designer. And uh, here I do think that our craft, artistic sense and ability to translate insight into solutions will be what really sets us apart. I also believe that design as a mindset uh, and as a philosophy and as an approach needs to increase, have increased understanding. And and I I believe it needs to happen fast uh, because if we get that understanding – it doesn't have to be that everyone are design thinkers and practicing design thinking, but if you at least understand what kind of like um, power there is in the approach, um, we uh, we can move faster together. And uh, we need so many more to join in and driving uh, change by design. I use more and more the term by design because design meaning intentional change by design meaning intentional change, right? That really helps uh, to uh, to anchor what design means in a in a more holistic way, and it's much more inclusive um, than um, than design with a big D in in, uh, in that sense, which uh, tends to be a little bit uh, protective and uh, putting sort of like uh, us and them uh, boundaries to us. But if we talk about by design, it's it's uh, through the way we do things, but we are welcoming others on that journey. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, the way we have to look at it going forward. That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, by design, very elegantly stated there. I know you mentioned before, which again, I, I really applaud and, and give major kudos to the positioning on sustainability and the efforts of Electrolux becoming a, a purpose-driven organization. 
Maybe to circle back, uh, you mentioned kind of adding the additional lens uh, around the desirable, viable, feasible. You had mentioned sustainable. Um, I personally like to use the word responsible, which encompasses more the triple bottom line. You also can you know, be responsible to the society as well as the environment and the planet. Maybe, you know, in addition or outside of design, helping to progress the business uh, in, uh, in, let's say, the triple bottom line. What's your outlook on design trying to take on some more of these complex systematic challenges around sustainability, society, um, for an organization or just in general? You mentioned, you know, by design. So what's your, what's your positioning on design trying to, you know, really be the, the, the problem solver, the, the problem owner for some of these, as we call wicked problems? Mm. I think design is a very important enabler to drive this next uh, level of change. Uh, I mean, it's definitely not going to happen by analytical uh, linear thinking, right? And uh, it most certainly needs to be tackled intentionally (laughs) by design. And that's what uh, I believe we mean when we say um, the term by design in that sense, right? And so I mentioned before that Electrolux is a sustainable leader in our industry and we have set um, very ambitious targets that aims to influence beyond our industry. And, and as a baseline, we have the ambition to be climate neutral in our, um, in our operations by 2030. I heard signify is already there. I guess the industry is slightly different. Uh, but 2030 is a steep target for us, and it's uh, aligned with the Paris Agreement. And uh, we're working towards uh, more circular products and services, and we want to inspire more sustainable living. And this year, we also installed sustainability in design. And um, we like to say sustainability by design. But uh, I find it really exciting because that really anchors us uh, together with our other sustainability leaders in the company. And it will offer us uh, the opportunity to drive uh, system thinking and circularity in a, in a different way. Uh, but Going outside of Electrolux, I think it's also interesting to see, uh, for example, design awards like the um, uh, Effectiveness Award uh, that uh, DBA is running. Um, They are looking more and more to the impact the design have, uh, not just on the uh, financial aspect, but also on people, planet and these things. And and we have in, I've been a fortune of being a jury member now two years in a row and, and we've been looking at how we can also support the design community to um, be uh, more informed based when it comes to sustainability aspects, right? Because uh, we can't run with uh, the popular opinion. Uh, we need to really be informed about the entire system impact of a change. There's a lot of, of design solutions there, which is taking away plastic and going in for glass instead. But single glass is not a good alternative either, right? So, so no, how do we really come from a point of knowledge? I, I think that's um, – and we have to then learn – and work with the scientists. I mean, that's another power we have, right? Designers doesn't have to be an expert in everything, but we have the ability to be and to learn about a lot of different things and connect the dots as a result of it and, and therefore actually uh, take on things in a more systemized way. And I really think that is um, that's essential. And I, I would like to encourage and see more awards that are um, looking at design from that point of view rather than, you know, what looks good or what stands out in the first uh, eyes or first moment that you spot something. Agree 100 percent. I think we're seeing just now the uh, the catalyst of change that hopefully is, is here to stay. 
and uh, maybe to borrow your words, by design. I think mm-hmm. we're changing the industry by design because we expect better and uh, we know we can do better uh, to the points you just mentioned. I think it's inherent in the designer's DNA to be inquisitive, problem solver, and making solutions real. Uh, Pernilla, you've had a pretty amazing career journey, and needless to say, you're in a, an amazing role currently today that you've been at for quite some time making change. So maybe just to tie things up, is there any advice you have, general or specific advice for others that are looking to elevate their careers or pursue a career in design leadership? Uh, anything that you have for the community at large? Yeah, I think design leadership means many different things at different stages of a designer's life. Um, so looking at these stages in a bit of a simplistic way, I think uh, the first stage is really about finding that self-leader, that leader within, and uh, build those influential skills that is so incredibly needed to have as a foundation. And uh, it's, it's also about realizing uh, the need of others strengthen you know the ability to facilitate uh, and uh, and listening i think uh, there is a beautiful story about how empathy is something that you realize you can never say but i'm getting a bit bugged when i hear you know design is empathy driven you know we all have biases um, empathy true empathy is not an end state right it's a it's a realization and and you need to start practicing it even on your peers, your colleagues, um, not only on the on the uses that we are designing for, right? And it takes time and it takes uh, a lot of practice. And I would also say a whole lot of patience to develop the ability to achieve that desired result um, through working with a team of designers and uh, using those methods and tools which are constantly evolving. I mean, there is a never-ending learning there, right? Uh, so patience is um, is something that I think is very foundational because you have to go through the motion and and uh, it's not always easy <laughs> to understand when you're young and ambitious and uh, and uh, you don't see necessarily why you should um, should stay um, doing what you're doing for as long as you maybe should. And uh, then when you come to that second level of when you start kind of like practicing leadership, uh, then it's about gaining followership. And I think it is something that maybe starts at leading by example. You know, others see what you do and, and because you're doing it really well, they, they respect you for it. Uh, but eventually there's a big shift to lead by example, to lead by inspiration. And I remember sitting once being in a, in a, uh, coaching session where my manager at the same at the time said you know you, you're a great leader by example but you know you don't lead by inspiration and I was like what do you mean what do you mean and it, it, it's looking back you know there's this doors opening like uh, to self-awareness um, that uh, that eventually led me to understand and I love thinking back about those conversations that uh, my senior leader had with me where I was like grumpy and maybe a bit defensive. And, and then later on, I, I can't help but giving them so much right, you know. And then when you come to that senior level, it's, it's really more about providing guidance and, and creating enabling conditions and, and support leading team members because there's a difference in leading leaders uh, than leading designers and leading design. And I think we have to compartmentalize these different type of, of uh, aspects of leadership 
I thought it was interesting. Um, we have a few of our team members now um, taking part of the um, the GROW program that you're running in Park. And uh, I can quote uh, one of my uh, design leaders saying, well, I've been taking a lot of these leadership courses that the business gives us, but this is really design leadership, you know. So I, I, I don't think we should underestimate the fact that leadership means many different things and there are specifics to design leadership, which you can't go out and learn in any leadership training. And uh, in Electrolux, we have uh, evolved uh, what we used to call the double career ladder in what we consider a triple career ladder. So we're looking at uh, spe- specialization uh, being one angle, traditionally often referred to like the I-shaped type of profiles. And then business partnership uh, being another angle, previously more design management. But I think the role of design management is, is changing and evolving as well because you can't, you can't be a design manager and just managing the business. You have to really also take the functional hat on. But uh, to really strengthening that, we also talk about functional leadership being a third angle and really driving leadership up with, with this, um, the strength of, of uh, facilitation and, and uh, taking others along and driving stakeholders. So that's our new uh, way of looking at the triple career ladder, which I, I think also allows the organization uh, and the designers to grow in seniority and they have more options and they grow in seniority more. And, and I believe that the world we're heading at will require a slightly different organizational shape. We have always been very heavy on the, let's say, senior designer level, uh, which I think is a classic way of, of uh, having design managers and designers supporting through a very traditional structure. But as we grow and need designers to be at every part of the organization, we need a much more senior team and a much more design leadership at, at every aspect of the business. So I think this new architecture will, will really help uh, both the company and the individuals working in the company to unleash their potential uh, in a good way. Excellent advice. Um, I think there's a, a full page of notes here that I'm taking. And of course, needless to say, based on a fantastic career. So um, I would encourage uh, the listeners to to maybe do a double take on uh, on the on the last statement there. Um, practicing patience um, and the discrepancies as you move through the career of of, of as you said, uh, followership, uh, guidance, showing by example, leading leaders, all the elements that are really paramount for great leadership. Uh, so, Pranila, I want to thank you for your sharing your insights and your career journey and and all the great things that uh, you've been able to experience and share with us today. And we look forward to some more amazing, many amazing things coming out of the organization that we know is uh, is coming here soon. So thank you again for your time. And, and we hope that we uh, cross paths again soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gained some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues have helped to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.